0: Welcome to African State of Mind. We, as the conversation started before the introduction, but it's all good. We have Efosa Ojoma in studio. Straight off the heels of the leadership, uh, the, the Discovery Leadership Summit, which most people in the studio were in. Minus myself. Um, he was in the company of people such as David Cameron, um, former president of uh, the United States, Bill Clinton, and former secretary of state, um, uh, Hillary Clinton, was there as well. Um, but I should more say that they were in your company because the work that he is doing is amazing. And what I love the most is the way that his story started. So we've been talking a lot about disruption and innovation and education. Those are big themes when it comes to Africa. So if a, it is well, or.
1: <laughs> Thank How you. Far. It is good to be here. <laughs> it
0: is good to be here. Uh-huh. <laughs> there, were there, your Yankee accent. Please just prove first of all that you're Nigerian, please. You just... know
1: the accent; it's uh, it comes in and out. Uh-huh. I can flip it, uh-huh. so it depends on my audience. Uh-huh. So who is my audience?
0: Your audience is Africa.
1: Okay, then I have to be uh-huh. African today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Africa State of Mind. It's so lovely to be able to have you in studio. Thank you. Um, and just your your life story is f- is phenomenal, and the way. that that um, you got into what it is that you're doing. I don't want to jump ahead because I want to take us bit by bit. So you pretty much started out, um, you know, when you finished high school, if I'm not mistaken, you tried to enter into a Lagos, into a Nigerian university, but you failed at that.
1: Well, I didn't know my business was going to be put on blast, but absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I actually failed um, not once but twice sure so i took the national entrance exam i didn't pass the first time didn't pass the second time and i thank god um that i was able to get into america because if i took it again i would have failed the third time yeah um but <clears throat> that was in 2000 so about 18 years ago and i started uh college in the united states mm-hmm. and the way i saw it was uh i'm not i'm not going back mm-hmm. why should i go back to nigeria yeah Started college, started pursuing the American dream after graduating, bought a house, got myself a car. I was excited. I mean, Life, life was, was good. good.
0: <laughs> life was good. Yeah.
1: Um, and then <clears throat> one day, out of the blue, I started reading books about economics, mm-hmm. development, poverty. Mm-hmm. And you know, it captured me in a way nothing ever had. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew something was going on uh, in me. And by the third book I read, um, I was confronted by this ten year old girl in the pages of this book, and she had to wake up every morning, three o'clock, mm-hmm. uh, three am, walk miles, fetch firewood, and take it to the market to sell in Ethiopia. And uh, if you've ever had any experience like this where something just changes your mm-hmm. life, like I could not continue to live life normally. Mm-hmm. And after that happened, I knew I had to do something. So for the first time in eight years, this was 2008, I went back to Nigeria. I... Started an organization With some friends Yeah Poverty stops
0: here so, Okay I'm gonna stop you right stop there Before me. you go straight into it Cause I I, I want us to be able to Dissect your story Bit by bit Cause I think there's so many Layers to it You know yes. Um So uh, You know When you spoke about You are now living The American dream mm-hmm. You know Which is what uh, I mean Maybe up until recently That was what A lot of people Around the continent That was the main aim It was yeah. like America was destination Everything Or Please get it What's yeah. your problem Get a passport You yes. know Um <laughs> and the world has obviously changed quite a lot, um, you know. So for you to make the decision to 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 stop living the American dream, what did you have to give up to be able to go, you know, to go back to Nigeria? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, so I'll tell you what I had to give up, but I also would tell you that when you have an experience like that, mm. um, giving up might be the wrong term because okay. it's, it's not even a, really a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time, I mean, I, I was saving up a lot of money. I wanted to buy a very nice car. Mm. Um, I wanted to, you know, move into a nicer house and really just keep pursuing the American dream. The more wealth you have, the more material things you accumulate mm-hmm. in your life. And um, once that shift happened, um, I began spending my vacations. I'd have about two to three weeks of vacation every year mm. uh, in Nigeria. I would go to Nigeria for about two weeks. I would go into poor communities, villages with mm. no water, kids not going to school, have one set of clothing, no shoes, you know, um, the typical pictures that we see. Mm. And I'd, I'd go and spend my vacations there, um, and I'd pay my way uh, to go. Uh, but you see, for me, it, it, was, it wasn't really giving up anything. It was more mm. like actually gaining something. Mm. It was like I had I had found my purpose in a way, uh, not mm. to sound cliche, but uh, and so it wasn't really a sacrifice. Mm. It was a blessing, yes. I think.
0: Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. And also you started an organization with friends of yours um what so how did this idea actually come about for you and also picking the right friends to start this organization with.
1: Yeah, um <laughs> so the idea was very basic. It mm-hmm. was poverty is a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: have resources here. Let's just go and help. Mm-hmm. And people would ask me, well, but so, why why start one? Why don't you um, try to do something else, or I, I, I didn't. I felt this force. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, no. We had to do something. We had to take our resources and apply it to the problem. And so, in terms of how I picked the friends, I was part of a a, a church in Wisconsin. This is where I lived in the United States at the time. Mm-hmm. And I just got a bunch of friends together uh, who were at the church who were also um, moved by uh, poverty mm-hmm. uh, on on the continent. And they saw the passion uh, in in me, and they knew I wasn't going to stop until we got something off the ground. Mm -hmm. And they came around uh, me, and we started this organization. And it was really basic in the sense that we were going to raise money from the U.S., friends and family, and as many people as we could Mm -hmm. convince, and invest in uh, uh, three things when we started. Wells, education, so focused on primary schools, and micro loans so we give out loans two three four hundred dollars to people so that you know they can do some trading business and that kind of thing and so i i've learned a lot through
0: being able to do that Absolutely But but your approach to eradicating poverty Has mm-hmm. almost changed You know Um, And I, I actually love the angle I don't want to <laughs> go into your answer So I'll let you explain it yeah. Um, And when we look at the fact You know Just some interesting statistics You know I think it was maybe about 2015 Maybe half of the people Who are living below poverty Were uh, you know In Africa mm-hmm. For example mm-hmm. um, You know And when it comes to Using innovation To be able to change this This is where you actually come in
1: yeah, so when we started, we were very basic. I mean, the name of the organization really was "Poverty Stops Here," mm. because we were just focused on stopping poverty. I mm-hmm. mean, it was uh, what what I felt was a very noble noble cause, a noble goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 a lot of people, about half now living in 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 poverty, uh, are in Africa, and mm. if current trends continue. I mean, we're talking about 86 or so percent Hmm. in another 20, 30 years are going to be Which is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. ridiculous, And so we see that um, the rate of poverty has gone down over the last 30 years. Uh, But in in, in Africa, um, the rate has pretty much stayed stagnant. I mean, the number of people have have actually gone up living living in poverty on the continent. But when you start to dissect the rate of poverty, the number that have escaped, I mean... A majority are from China, uh, to a lesser extent India, mm. and so it's um, it's a good thing to celebrate that the rate of poverty is going down to about ten percent, sub ten percent. But man, oh, everybody is just in, in Africa. So,
0: so why is Africa getting left behind in this? In this, um, as the rate of poverty drops, why is Africa not following in suit?
1: Well, I think the biggest reason, uh, which is, is is not to get ahead of myself, um, which is the title of, of our, our upcoming book. But the biggest reason is um, you don't fix poverty by trying to fix poverty, mm-hmm. which is a big lesson I learned. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a, a simple illustration. The first thing I did when we got into an, um, uh, uh, a village was mm-hmm. we built a well. Because we saw that people in the village didn't have access to water. Mm. And so we said, how do you fix that? You build a well. Mm. Raised money, built a well. And then I come back to the U.S. and I get a call that the well has broken down. Hmm. What do I do? I try and get somebody to fix it. Okay, I'm successful once. But then the well breaks down again. Mm -hmm. And then I realize that's not a sustainable solution. It turns out we built about five wells. We had to stop after five. And four of them are broken, four of those wells. I come to realize that's not just a poverty stops here problem. It's a problem across the continent. We see lack of water. We want to fix poverty. We build a well. And we call that a push approach, where we push what we believe the solution is. And it makes sense. It's well intended. But it turns out that that often doesn't lead to long-term sustainable transformation and prosperity. Mm-hmm. Because we are so focused on fixing the symptoms of a deeper problem. Sure, that's powerful. That we're not thinking about creating and I, and prosperity. And I
0: think that that's what happens in general around the continent. Unfortunately, yes. we're fixing symptoms and no. not getting to the roots of the issue. We're mm-hmm. not. Right.
1: And so as a result, we find that we've been pumping billions of dollars in poverty eradication programs in Africa. And we get some progress. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of kids in primary school now. Mm-hmm. But you start to ask, what are those kids learning? How are they going to go to secondary school? Where are the jobs after they graduate? <laughs> what? And we can't answer because we are fixing the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And the problem to us is we have an education problem. Kids are mm-hmm. not in school. And we're pushing what we believe are the right solutions but it turns out that those only help temporarily, mm. and that was a big lesson I had to learn after Four Wells broke down, and I was like, I can't keep raising money from my yeah. American friends, and then I know this like,
0: African is just to you <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs>
0: He's Sorry, 419-ing me. Well, well, well. i <laughs>
1: <Don't laughs> joking. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully they didn't think that. <laughs> um. yeah.
0: But I mean, that must have also been, because I can imagine if you, uh, you know, because the the intention was obviously good to, to build mm-hmm. these walls. And on the outside, as we've been discussing, it seems like the right way to go about it, right? Yes. But then along the way, these walls keep on breaking down. What did that even do for you with regards to continuing? Because a lot of yeah. people would have been like, look. I've tried. Let me continue. This is my American dream, you know. Mm. But what is what is it that made you continue to try and find another solution?
1: Yeah. So when you begin to look at a problem through the lens of this ten-year-old girl that has to wake up at three in the morning, mm. um, it, it, ter- it turns out that quitting is not really an option. Mm. You, you just have to continue. And so I told myself until we figure this thing out. Mm -hmm. I I just can't um, stop. Mm. And so we stopped building wells because we knew we didn't have the capacity to manage the wells, and and that's just the truth. Um, And and it took a lot for us to say, we've built five, four have broken down. The only one that's working had someone in an organization who was going to manage it. Mm. So uh, we said, okay, that one is good, but we can't keep building. now, I, I realized that we had been um, asking the wrong questions, and I realized this after I went back to school and studied under a professor there, Professor Clay Christensen, who was also at the uh, at the conference, mm. you know. And, and once you I were mean, at this
0: very um, lovely le- leadership uh, conference, yes. Yes. That everybody was at. Yeah, the one you were myself, not invited the to. The one I was not invited yeah, to. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So,
1: <laughs> sorry. It was a very nice conference.
0: <laughs> I believe you... The
1: Clintons were there.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Cameron was there. Uh-huh. So many others. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you and your friends, okay. <laughs> you, know, you know,
1: I also believe a guy by the name of... um was there Yeah, he was there. Okay, excellent. Excellent. So... Um. Now, I, I I had to go back to school because I thought to myself, this is something many other countries have solved. Why are we not making progress? Mm-hmm. There has to be a way. Uh, I wanted to study economics at first, and then an economics professor, I had lunch with him, and he heard me talk. He was like, you don't want to get a... Ph.D. in Economics. You don't sound like a theorist. You, you want to go into the field and do work. Go and get your MBA. Hmm. And so that's really where I started thinking about going back to school. Hmm. And uh, I was fortunate. I headed back to Boston and went to biz, started business school there.
0: Yeah. So and you drew uh, an interesting comparison between the way that America was mm-hmm. um you know before it became what it is today. Yes. I I mean economically. Yes. And about the fact that perhaps uh, you know African countries we because of w- what America has done we have the potential to do that. But they attack the issue from a different perspective. If you could expand on that.
1: Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> and so uh working with uh, professor Christiansen over the past three years and uh, he has really taught me how framing a problem properly mm-hmm. and categorizing it well is the most important thing when it comes to solving uh problems mm-hmm. and so when 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 we started this research um we said okay it turns out virtually every country in the world you go back far enough two three hundred years ago was poor Living Mm. on less than two, three, four dollars a day. Mm. So, what happened? Now, we have big words like the industrial revolution, um, the information age, and so on and so forth. But we had to peel the covers and look at what was going on in the economies. Mm. And then, what we find is um, there was immense corruption in many prosperous countries that exist today. Uh, Back then, they did not have infrastructure. Education was a luxury for many people. But the different strategy that they took that we don't seem to be taking in Africa um, is instead of pushing what the right solution was. Mm-hmm. So we don't have education. So we push what we believe education is and then people learn and so on and so forth. What happened was we had a, a lot of entrepreneurs and innovators who created New markets. And so they developed what we call market-creating innovations.
0: Okay.
1: Now, these market-creating innovations are innovations that make products simple and affordable so that many more people in society can afford them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really that, that simple, right? So when they develop these market-creating innovations, I'll give a couple of examples in a second. I'll t- the phenomenon, what happens is after you develop it, you create this new market that gives you access to a bunch of customers that never uh, bought this product or service. And as a result of that, that market now pulls into society so many things that we tend to be pushing. Hmm. But because of the strength of the market, those things remain sustainable. And so in the 1850s, the average American had one, maybe two pieces of clothing. It took um, back then it was women who did a lot of a lot of the chores and work, but it took the average woman about twelve hours to sew a, a shirt. Sure. And so, you, if you were rich, you had multiple pieces of clothing. Mm. But there was an entrepreneur who wasn't a very nice guy, um, but <laughs> he was a great entrepreneur. His name was Isaac Singer, mm. and he developed a affordable sewing machine that. M- made the process go down from 12 hours to one hour. Mm. All of a sudden, he has a huge problem on his hands because now millions of people want his sewing machine, so he has to build factories, hire a bunch of people, get the steel he needs, the wood he needs, train people on how to build a sewing machine, train people on how to sell the sewing machine, train people how to distribute, how to service. And now all of a sudden, people say, man, I didn't have a job before, but I can be a fashion designer. Mm. And so you buy a sewing machine, mm. you start a small business in your house. Where do you sell your clothes? Department stores. Boom. All of a sure. sudden you have...
0: That's a, a great analogy. And so all For of example, a sudden sorry. this
1: guy making something simple and affordable so many more people can have it. said mm. you can see all the other things Industry it's Industries that
0: came out. Of Absolutely.
1: Ideas. And so that happened time and time again. And then you get to a point where... People now start making enough money to survive, mm-hmm. send their kids to school, and the government starts to raise enough money to where it can start to fight the societal ills, start to provide uh, public uh, uh, clean water, right? access to clean water, health care, education, public education. Uh, it starts to fight corruption because you need money to fight corruption. Mm. I mean, we fight corruption everywhere in all these societies, but how do you prosecute and so? And so you find this interesting evolution that happened over time, which is just fascinating. and I don't know that that doesn't seem to be the approach we're taking in Africa, which is making it hard
0: so so how would you in is using mm-hmm. the example, yes. um you know, how would you then perhaps implement it into a, a Possible problem that we have in Africa mm-hmm. that we need to be looking at in a different way. Because if if I'm understanding mm-hmm. what you're saying, in Africa or you know or let's just say in life, people often try to you know we, we work in what seems to be the logical order, yeah. Versus you know actually making something and then from that we different things will be built off it. So how how would, would that translate in an African context?
1: It turns out we we actually have a good example in Africa, and this mm-hmm. is how we start the book. Um, and this is the, the chapter one, the introduction to the prosperity paradox, where we talk about what uh, Sudanese entrepreneur, who is now a billionaire, Mo Ibrahim. Is he your friend too, like
0: no. the Clintons? No. He's,
1: he's, 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 he's not <laughs> yet my friend. We've talked on the phone a few times.
0: Uh-huh. Um, Please, Mr. Ibrahim, call him. Ah,
1: Mr. Ibrahim. <laughs> what that guy did. Yes. Hey, jeez. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> in the first chapter of the book, and you know, we, we, my, my professor, we, we were writing, we said, you know what? Africa needs more Mo Ibrahim projects, fewer Efosa Ojoma projects. <laughs> <laughs> I say, yeah,
0: Yes, so Okay.
1: So, Mo Ibrahim, 20 years ago, he says, Africa was much poorer than it is today, if you look at the numbers, right? Uh, even if you just take top line GDP numbers. mm but instead of pushing all these solutions—education, uh, roads, so on—he said, "I'm going to figure out how to give people a simple and affordable way to make phone calls." Mm. Hey, people say, "Mo, you are crazy."
0: Mm. And he was. Who's going man. to buy this? You know, where we don't have a road, there's no, no road. Yeah.
1: These people—I mean, literally—these people have AIDS, corruption, and some of them even thought idi. I mean. Was still around. I mean, no, no, it can never mm-hmm. work. Mo said, "I see people have this struggle in their lives. Mm-hmm. If you want to go and see your mom in the village, you have to drive how many hours? Sometimes it takes a, a a week. If you want to ask your friend something, you have to go to his house. It takes an hour. I mean, he's like, I think we can build this. So, he got licenses. He built this company that now." has grown. I mean, he's not the only one, uh, but has now grown to support about a, close to a billion cell phone connections sure. in Africa today. <coughs> Supports about three to four million jobs. By 2020, it, I believe the it, it estimates estimates that it would be adding about 200 and something billion dollars hmm. worth of economic value. Sure. Right. And, Look at all the things that it's pulling into our society Mm. now. Some people are now building services on top of the mobile telco uh, infrastructure networks. Um, I mean, perhaps the most popular one is M-PESA, mobile Mm.
0: money. M-PESA changed the way people deal with money in East Africa. It's just changing.
1: Right? Absolutely. And so that is the kind of thinking, right, that I believe is possible on this continent. Mm. Could somebody do the same thing for electricity i believe it's possible mm. could somebody be as bold to do the same thing for several illnesses that we have on the continent where you create a very targeted solution you make it simple and affordable and then over time you begin to add more services to it mm. when we start to approach our problems uh, on this continent that way i believe we will have a much better chance of mm. eradicating poverty
0: so here's another thing um because I would like to believe that they are quite a... When we look at the fact that Africa has got is the youngest population mm-hmm. and so living in Africa now and growing up here, everybody's kind of... Not everybody, but a vast number of people are growing up in this new kind of age of innovation and so yeah. everybody's thinking of all these ideas. But then there comes the challenge of government and Mm. red tape and you know regulatory and all of that what what would you say to say to different african leaders who make it hard Mm -hmm. if if a a young african has a a, an incredible idea who make it hard because i'll say okay i won't say the country but you (laughs) probably will guess it there is a particular country that is um you know the one of the highest oil producers Mm -hmm. you know but the power situation is not what it should be for example and then you know there's there is often a lot of talk around the fact that the power situation is not what it should be. Mm-hmm. is because a small amount of people benefit yeah. from people having to use generators mm-hmm. and, and all of this and diesel and everything. So in those kind of situations, yeah. what would you tell African leaders and people who are policymakers when it comes to that? Yeah, Please don't say the name of the country. I have to... Try I, to make. <laughs> I,
1: I, I, I don't even know what country you're talking about. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the, the truth is, if I have to be honest... Um, I don't know that I will have any unique insights to mm. say to African leaders.
0: Yeah.
1: People aren't stupid. People know what they need to do. Mm. That's that's not the issue. Mm. The issue isn't, you know, I say something really profound and then, ah, yeah, Fusa, we didn't think about that. Uh-uh, that we have to give these people permits and licenses. Investors are ready to, they know. Yes. The issue is when we look at the system today, the incentive structures, how long they are in power, opportunities for them to make a buck or two, they are set up to make the status quo continue. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I, I don't know that I can say anything profound mm. now. What I will say, though, is their challenges are not unique to them.
0: Okay.
1: Now, let me give you a quick example. In the early 1800s. See, I have to go back because oftentimes when I look at developed countries today and say, "Ah, these people," they woke have up sense. like that. To
0: uh-uh. Use the, the phrase. Yeah, uh-huh. they
1: woke up like that. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> you didn't even shower. See, as we are just so fine, <laughs> so make looking good. That's not the case. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, you know, back in in Boston, I would say it started out in Boston, um. In the late 1700s, if you wanted anything cold, you had to use ice Mm. from lakes, really. (laughs) Um, So in the winter, it gets really cold. The lakes would freeze over and these guys would go cut up ice and give it to uh, rich people, typically. Mm. An entrepreneur came up with a way to actually sell ice to the average person. So Mm. more people had ice and so on. But it turns out when America was about to move from ice that was cut from lakes and so you could imagine lakes are dirty some of them are dirty and you you know some people would drink this and so on to actually um mechanically refrigerated ice created ice mm. there was an uproar hmm. right there was an uproar um the the existing industries the incumbents lobbied the governments to say that is not good this is not going to you know it's 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 it leads to bad health natural ice is the way and so on so we can always expect that to happen mm-hmm. but the, th- the, the 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 potentially two things that can help one is we pray that everybody in the government has a come to Jesus moment.
0: Uh-huh, it's not going to happen. <laughs>
1: uh, well, I'm just gi- I'm giving you the options.
0: Okay, option one. Option one. Okay, right? now the realistic option. We keep
1: praying. Say, hey, deliverance. <laughs> Maybe even you do three days dry. You know, fasting. Um, <laughs> that dries with no water. Uh huh. <laughs> so we pray. Okay, we've been doing that since independence. Uh-huh. Since all of us were getting independence, we've In been the doing. 50s, yeah. We know how to do deliverance. <laughs> We know how to shout and pray. It has not resulted in progress, or at least the kind of progress where we are seeing transformative change. change, The second option is this notion of creating new markets. Mm -hmm. And so you don't go directly after the incumbents. You go after, in our language, in in, in our research and, and the book, what we talk about is you go after a phenomenon called non-consumption. This is where you go after people that are not currently consuming the existing products Mm. on the market for a majority of reasons. They are too expensive. uh, They don't have the technical skills to, to afford them and so on. And then you sell to those people. Now, I would be the first to tell you, it's difficult to create a business model that targets those guys. But if you are successful there, that's the vast majority of people. All of a sudden, that starts to become the norm. Mm. And then the government starts to make money legitimately through this market you've created. And it's them that will actually hmm. keep you going. Um, if we go back to use Mo Ibrahim, just because his example was really powerful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He didn't start out in the biggest markets. He even started in Nigeria.
0: Where did he actually start?
1: Thank you. Mali, Mali, Niger, Sudan,
0: and those are markets. People Uganda, don't please. I'm Ugandan. Please, he started Asia, Okay, but, but my country is a market.
1: Uh-uh. R- r- right, <laughs> right. Um, congratulations. I was in Kampala. Uh, when was I in Kampala? <laughs> a couple years ago. <laughs> I met with your president. Uh, but we'll um, pass right past him. Y- yes. Was, yeah. But um. So he- here's the thing. Mm. Right.
0: So I just wanted to to, to just explain So that yeah. people don't think We're taking it as yeah. a joke yeah. But the reality is Even now when we think about African markets, yeah. People don't think of Niger They don't think of no, Mali no, they, they don't think of Sudan yeah. Even now And for him to have been Visionary enough to start yeah. then Because more often than not People are kind of like Let's look at South Africa They'll look at East so, Africa yes. as a whole Let's yes. look at Nigeria yes. And that sort of thing So yes. that, that was what You were that trying to express
1: Absolutely mm-hmm. ran the two Congos He, yes. he You know Now When he was successful there, Mm -hmm. this is the interesting thing, it created a signaling effect. Mm -hmm. Now, the government in Nigeria, people in Nigeria and other bigger markets are looking saying, ah, these people are just selling uh, telco licenses for a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And these guys are making money. They are creating jobs, paying taxes. Why don't we do the same? Mm -hmm. Now, I can imagine if he went to Nigeria, my guess is he did, I don't know. And maybe... The Nigerian government wasn't as um, open open or Mm -hmm. they weren't, you know. So he was like, okay, let me go somewhere else, right? So he went to where licenses came easy Mm -hmm. um, or easier. Mm -hmm. And then he built his market there because he knew "Ah, people will use these things. Mm -hmm. Built his markets there and that created this signaling effect. And now the average person in Nigeria has two or three phones, Mm -hmm. right? So it's... It's one thing to look at a market and say let's just hit it head on this you know people are buying generators people should stop that no but you have to finesse it and go down market non consumption where people are not buying a product mm. if you serve that market it's often really big and can create this signaling effect mm. uh, so I think that's the way I would do it yeah. I wouldn't try to fight the incumbents it's yeah. too difficult
0: yeah and you, you probably know. won't win
1: you in your win.
0: lifetime, anyway.
1: Exactly, it, it's too difficult. It's and, too, yeah. and
0: so now, when it comes to educate, uh, when it comes to eradicating poverty and mm-hmm. education, how are you, you know, doing your part with regards to this in using the kind of the the approach that we've been discussing?
1: Um, so, uh, right now, my organization is is we stopped building wells and we focused uh, (laughs) You're like these wells (laughs) No, no, no we stopped Um, and we focused more on um, giving out loans Mm. Now we have some education programs still going on um, but I think if I were to design a program from scratch that focused Mm. on education um, really I would think about where are the skills gaps in my society Hmm. and how can i educate people to do something Mm. so i'll give you a quick example every time i visit nigeria without fail i have never found a good plumber a good tailor people always complain about these things now is it possible for an entrepreneur to say this is almost a universal problem So instead of somebody going to school, you spend, um, or in addition to, maybe instead of might be too strong, you go to school, you go to university, you get degree, you get everything, everything, and you don't have job. Mm -hmm. Or whatever job you have is not paying the bills. What if you created for all the youth that we have a school that brought in people, taught them how to do plumbing really well? Because we know it's a big problem. You taught them really, Mm. really well, and they became excellent. And then in addition to that, you began looking for customers, started signing them up and saying, hey, we promise you excellent plumbers. Anytime you have a problem, you call us in. We're there in 12 hours or 24 hours. You pay a dollar a month or 10 rand a month. Mm. It's sort of like an insurance thing. And then when they come, labor is free. You pay for parts and you're good to go. Mm. Now, think about that. You have to run the numbers and figure out how viable it is. But that's an interesting way to tackle this education problem. It's not looking at, let's get all these kids in school. No, right? And then all these people start solving these problems from Mm. plumbing to making clothes Mm. to electricians to fixing things. And they start learning on the job and they start branching out on their own, starting small businesses, start doing big contracts for big companies. And so it's taking the problem from a how do we create a market that can pull in all these skills we need? It's taking it there versus we know we need to educate people. Let's just educate them and then we hope.
0: Mm. Which, yeah. It's not working. Mm. Sure, yeah, that's true. Working. I really, I, what I like about that approach is, um, you almost, the way that you're describing it in my Ugandan market mind, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> the way that I that that I that you describe it, I almost imagine in the same way that when people talk about starting a business and being an entrepreneur, you need to have a solution. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the way that we need to be looking at education is what problems are we trying to solve, and yes. then start education programs based around that
1: absolutely yeah. absolutely i mean if we look at uh land grant universities in the united states mm-hmm. uh, these are universities that the government said hey we'll give you land we'll fund and we do research and we 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 would build them so universities like ohio state penn state university a lot of big prominent american universities were land grant universities the pool for those universities wasn't just Let's educate people. Let's just make them more educated. Mm. No, it was as the Industrial Revolution was happening, agriculture was becoming more mechanized, more technical. Mm. Uh, You also had sort of this industry forming. You started to build factories. I mean, Isaac Singer, who I spoke about, was just one example and you you realize well we need more technical skills we need more technical people to build tooling equipment to build uh, factories to help us understand standards and so the government saw this happening and said hey let's invest in schools that do this not mm-hmm. random schools that would just educate people so there was a pull that happened sure. and I think if we began to think about school that way mm-hmm. what is the purpose? Of school. school. Mm. What is the purpose? Mm. Right? In in chapter 10 of our book, we talk about infrastructure. And we say, what is the purpose of an infrastructure? Of which a school is soft infrastructure education and so on. And you find out the purpose of infrastructure is to store or distribute value in society as efficiently as possible. From your roads to your schools to your healthcare systems, you name it. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose of an infrastructure. And so I can build a school, but if the value I'm distributing to my students does not enable them to get jobs so they can become more productive members is, of society,
0: the
1: then unfortunately I I haven't, um, I haven't done as well as I think I could.
0: Mm. You know. And then just, um, you know, before we do let you go, I wanted to also just touch on this whole idea of innovation within mm. the entertainment industry. Because mm-hmm. that seems to be something that, not seems to be, but it's something that Nigeria has excelled at, has Absolutely. done really, really well. Um, And a lot of people might not think as Nollywood as being part of the, you know, innovation. But you you have a different view where that's concerned.
1: Absolutely. So... um the the modern age because many people would disagree with this but the modern age in Hollywood was mm. sort of kicked off in 1992 or so mm. when a guy an electronic salesman um, got a bunch of empty cassette tapes mm-hmm. to sell in his store he started looking around what are people going to use my empty cassette tapes <laughs> <laughs> so he said let me put a movie on top yeah. and uh, or inside y- and let me <laughs> sell it on top or inside you know uh-huh. and It was a hit, Living in Bondage. It was such a hit, made part one and part two. Sure. Um, I mean, it's hard to get actual numbers, but I think they say about half a million plus copies were sold. I think that is, you know, 20-something years ago. So that sort of kick-started our current Nollywood Mm. industry. Notice what happened with Nollywood. Um, Did the government come in and say, hey, let us build an entertainment industry, let us support our entrepreneurs, (laughs) let us... no, 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 no. It was started from the bottom. Mm. We weren't trying to replicate Hollywood or Bollywood in India. We just said, "Let us serve the people that Hollywood movies are not serving mm. or Bollywood movies. Let's serve the African market." And we started creating movies. People will say they are low budget movies, but I would say they are correct budget movies because mm. they are serving the market. People we enjoy the them within, we, exactly. We, yeah, yes. who, who is looking and saying? Oh, the artistic expression in that was not good. And
0: no, we are enjoying the it. composition. The p- composition. We are enjoying. Oh, please leave us. <laughs> we are enjoying it. That so, that funny lightning. We're know, happy. <laughs> you will go, you got to start replicating
1: something else now, <laughs> and nobody will buy it. But you, the artistic composition. No, <laughs> he he he. The the industry centered around the average African who wanted uh, to share an experience mm. with people on screen and get something enjoyable out of it. So, it has thrived. Now, in Nigeria, estimates are that the industry is worth three to four billion dollars, supports about one million jobs, Mm. and this is the beautiful part. The government has taken notice, has begun to take piracy more seriously. We still have work to do, Mm -hmm. but has begun to take it more seriously, has begun to create financing schemes Mm. for people to... Um, to, to fund uh, movies, banks and financial institutions now have film desks sure. so that you go, you get funding for a movie and so on. And um, there are about 50 or so film schools mm. in Nigeria. And I didn't even know. There mm. were that many. I was doing some research on this. Uh, some have partnered with uh, New York Film School mm. or School of... the. And so you see the process by which that has happened, where you start by targeting non-consumption you create a new market and then that market starts to pull in all these other things into the society Mm. we just have to really replicate that in many of as many industries as possible Mm. and if we do that i believe um, our trajectory to prosperity could be a lot more successful
0: so 20 years from now where do you want to see yourself where do you want to see africa as a whole I know the the Africa thing yes. is a big one but
1: yes um well well uh 20 years from now I want the Africa story to be very different. Mm-hmm. Um and so from a numbers perspective I want more people not I, I, I focus less on on, on poverty numbers. Mm. Um I focus more on Prosperity. I want people to grasp at this thing called prosperity. Mm-hmm. And the thing about prosperity is, how do we know that people are actually becoming more and more prosperous? When fewer people, right, when fewer people think it's worth it to risk their lives by crossing the Mediterranean mm-hmm. on uh, little uh, floaters, mm-hmm. put their families on there, Um, where the odds of making it are really slim, making it to a country that's going to reject you and send you back or Mm. so on. When fewer people start to migrate like that, then we know we are making progress. When more people understand that, I know things are difficult in my country, Nigeria, Uganda, South Africa, and so on. But I know if I work really, really hard, I can get a job. Mm. I know if I work really, really hard, I can create a job, I can create a business. Now, those are different from seeing the poverty numbers go down or seeing more kids get educated. And you give me a million dollars, I can impact some poverty numbers here and there. But is that going to create lasting prosperity? Mm -mm. I don't know. And I don't think so. Right? Now, for me personally, I tell people who ask me that um, this sort of phase I'm in, uh, I want to be like Apostle Paul in the Bible. I want to evangelize this message. Mm. I really want the idea of market creating innovations to be spread all across the world because I I think if we understand the concept and the theories that underpin sustainable economic development you know you asked where where can Africa be in 20 years mm. we can be a very prosperous continent, or on our way to to, to a very prosperous mm. continent, we can change the dynamics of how the population, uh, the citizens engage with government, um, so that the governments now see that man, if they if they invest in making the environment more suitable for business and enterprise and innovations, that they would actually benefit a lot more, mm. right? And so once we can change that narrative. I think you can. Have, you you're, we're going to have exponential development impact. Mm. I really believe it.
0: And yourself, twenty years.
1: Um, that's a good question. Where, don't tell
0: well, me hang out with Obama because then we. I literally have to just say <laughs> please leave. No, no, so, so, It'll be so, me first. So, so, <laughs> so um,
1: you know what? If 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 the good Lord blesses me with uh with with, with a, a good woman, a good job, and a good family. I'm very I'm very okay. In mm. twenty years. I think at the end of the day our relationships are what matter the most. Mm. I love my job, I love what I'm doing, I love speaking about this, writing and so on. But I think at the end of the day, um I want to be in a place where I have relationships I can count on and people that um that love me and people I love. Mm. I, I think that is 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 you know as I think about my life in twenty years, I would mm. be happy if that happens.
0: Okay. And when you think of Africa's state of mind, what comes to mind?
1: Um, opportunity. Nice. That's the first word that came to my mind as mm-hmm. you asked that question. Um, I think we have a significant opportunity to change the narrative mm. um, and and truly create sustainable uh, economic prosperity in this on, the, on this continent.
0: Okay. Thank you very much for spending time with us. But I had to just say one of the innovations we have not spoken about mm-hmm. but I'm going to be the one that closes it. Please do not interrupt me. I wouldn't. Uh, this inter- this innovation around jollof rice and the fact that Senegalese people <laughs> make the best jollof mm. rice. <laughs> mm. Please keep swallowing your water. Oh. I just said that No, your minister started. Oh. Eh? It was your minister. Hey. Hey. Hey, minister it, on CNN, that just, I'm, that okay. minister I'm just
1: should be fired <laughs> <laughs> if he has not been fired. <laughs> <say> that.
0: No <laughs> The one thing that always that always lets you know that you're talking to a true Nigerian, just what people know, is just ah. try and salt their jollof rice for Ooh. one second.
1: I'm fuming. Hey, fuming you f- I need water.
0: <laughs> you could be talking to to um, former president Bill Clinton. Ooh. Let somebody say uh, something about you say, What? What ah. is this? <laughs> But <laughs> it was like, calm down. I'm trying. <laughs> I was just joking. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I'm, I was just joking. I don't want people to be sending me hate tweets <laughs> around Jolov Rice in Nigeria. I've learned my lesson. But thank you very <laughs> Thank you so much for spending time with us And also just congratulations on having the courage To follow the path Less taken you know and to wanting To be able to impact an entire generation I think that there's nothing And an entire continent you know the fact that A 10 year old girl from Ethiopia who you I don't know if you've met Her yet or not and just you Reading about her plight that making you want to change and you know your direction in life that is that says a lot and I think that we had a lot more people like you just around the world would be living in a much better place but thank you very much for spending time with us thank you and yeah please enjoy your jollof rice there's some over there on the table hey Hey. very nice (laughs) thank you thank you Thanks so much for listening To another episode Of Africa State of Mind I hope that you enjoy Listening to this podcast As much as we enjoy Putting it together for you And once again A big shout out To all of the amazing people um, From around the amazing Continent of Africa uh, You know Who are really doing their part With regards to Changing the narrative Don't forget that You can interact with us On our Twitter handle At Africa State Mind You can also join The Africa State of Mind Group on Facebook And please remember to rate us um, on iTunes. Let us know how it is that you think that we're doing. And if you have any ideas for any guests or people from your particular country uh, within the continent of Africa that are really changing the narrative, please be sure to share it with us. That's all we have for time for today. My name is Lee Kasumba, Africa State of Mind. We'll be back next week with another great episode.
1: Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now.